now I want to introduce my friend Teresa. About two years ago, in uh, one of our Bible studies here, Vicki Gillespie's class, I met, I got to sit by Teresa Skeppel, and she immediately, um, I was struck by the joy that she has, the joy of the Lord. And as I got to know her more, I saw her heart, how she just loves the Lord and His Word. She loves His Word and is a great encouragement. Um, So she is the wife of Roger Skeppel, and she's the mother of four adult children. She serves in the women's ministry at the Berean Bible Baptist Church, where her husband is the senior pastor. Um, she also is a certified biblical counselor and is involved in has a counseling ministry. She ministers to the homeless and abused women at the ministry called Gilgal. Some of you were here when Val Cater spoke and told us about that ministry. And so Teresa is one of the ladies that goes and ministers to the um, residents there at Gilgal. Um, she loves the Lord and desires to see women experience personally the life-changing truths of God's Word. So I'm going to present her now, and she's going to share with you from God's Word. Well, thank you so much, Susan. Thank you for that introduction, and um, thank you for having me here this evening. It's really an honor and a privilege to be here with you. Uh, I remember when Susan told me about Genuine Wisdom a while ago, and that name just um, speaks volumes. It just it just stuck with me. And, you know, anytime I think about wisdom, and especially women, I think about the passage in Proverbs 14.1, where it says, a wise woman builds her home. And then it says, but the foolish woman with her own hands tears her home down. And, you know, when you think about that, you realize that, you know, that woman didn't become like that overnight. You know, you don't, you don't just wake up one day and you're wise, okay? There's, there's a process and there's a series of decisions and choices. And the same is true with being a foolish woman, okay? You don't just become foolish overnight. And so um, just, it's, it's just really exciting being a part of a ministry, genuine wisdom, where, you know, the church is, is teaching and training you guys at a young age um, to be wise in every area of your life. And so, again, thank you for allowing me to be here. Um, I hope I don't have too much material, but um, we're going to try to get through it as, as quickly as we can. And Yes, you have handouts in front of you and um, kind of interactive, so I'll may, I might ask some questions and you're welcome you know, to answer. And then we're going to do some activities at your table as well as we go through the study. Um, let me just open in prayer. I know we prayed once, but we're going to pray again. So if you bow with me. Father God, we thank you so much for your your goodness and grace and mercy to us. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather here tonight and for each of these young ladies, Lord, who are here, Father. We just thank you for their life and their ministry, Lord. Uh, We just pray that you would just continue to go before them, continue to guide and direct them and help them to be uh, the women of God that you created them to be. Lord God, I pray that you would just be with us, that you would open each of our hearts and that you would speak to us, Father. Teach us what we need to know, Lord God, about challenges and how to deal with the challenges that enter our lives in a way that it would honor and glorify you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you see from your uh, handout, we're going to be talking about uh, how to... um, 
just how to um, face the challenges and trials that come into your life. And so we're going to look at four key areas that have a direct impact on how you face the challenges in your life. And at the top of your handout, you can write these in. I think I left a little space there for you. But we're going to talk about your attitude and how that impacts how you face your challenges that come into your life. Uh, We're going to talk about um, your mindset and how that affects how you face the challenges that come into your life. We're going to talk about behavior, and then we're going to talk about focus. So those four things, attitude, mindset, behavior, and focus. And if you see from your handout at the very top, how many of you have heard of Chuck Swindoll? Is that a familiar name? Okay, of course. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, I used to live in Dallas, Texas years ago, and I believe Chuck Swindoll has a church right outside of Dallas. Um, and, uh, but anyway, when I lived there, my husband and I and our family, we had the opportunity of hearing Chuck Swindoll a couple times. And he made a statement in one of his sermons that has stuck with me all these years. And that statement is in your handout. He said, life is 10% what happens to you, and 90% how you respond to it. I want you to just think about that for a moment. Life is 10% what happens to you, and 90% how you respond to it. Now, that's not the Bible. There's no Bible verse that says that, but that's Chuck Swindoll. But there's a lot of truth in that little statement. And basically, what he's saying is that the majority of your life is about how you respond to the 10% that happens to you, you know, and so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about, that things happen to us throughout the, li- throughout the day, throughout our life that we have no control over. You know, I'm sure things happen to you today that you had no control over it. But what we do have control over is our response to the things that happen. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. And I have an example here that I'm just going to read to you. And this example is about you. (laughs) Okay, so I have included you into this example. So I just want you to listen. This is about the fact that life is 10% that happens to you and how you respond to it. Okay, so you are eating breakfast with your family before you're heading off to work. Your daughter knocks over a cup of coffee into your lap. You throw your hands up in the air and begin yelling at your daughter for knocking the coffee over. She breaks down in tears. After scolding her, you turn to your husband and start in on him, criticizing him for placing the cup too close to the edge of the table. Of course she's going to knock it over, you say to him. You then start mumbling under your breath, but loud enough for your husband to hear you complain about him. A short verbal battle ensues, and you storm upstairs to change clothes. Back downstairs you come and find your daughter has been too busy crying, and she missed the bus to school. Your husband is also running late for work, and he leaves immediately. You rush to the car and drive your daughter to school. Because you are late... You drive 45 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour speed limit. You get pulled over. After a 20 minute delay and a fine, you arrive at school. Your daughter runs out of the car, runs into the building without even saying goodbye. Your day has started terribly and it continues that way. You arrive back home after work only to find a wedge in your relationship with your husband and daughter. That's the end of that story. Okay, so now the question. I've got several questions for you. 
Why did you have a bad day? Why did you have a bad day? A, did the coffee cause you to have a bad day? Did your daughter cause you to have a bad day? Did the police officer cause you to have a bad day? Or D, did you cause you to have a bad day? So I think we already know that answer, okay? <laughs> because of how you responded to the challenge that happened, that's what caused your bad day. And when you think about it, okay, all of these things happened because of just a simple thing of coffee spilling in your lap. You spoke to your daughter in an angry way. You spoke to your husband disrespectfully. You broke the law by speeding. You incurred financial debt unnecessarily. You most likely did not perform very well on your job that day. You ruined two relationships, that being your husband and your daughter, because of how you responded. Wow. So when you think about attitude, mindset, behavior, and focus, and you think about that little story, her attitude and her mindset was, was angry. She was just angry, okay, over essentially nothing. You know, when you think about the grand scheme of things, coffee falling into your lap, that's not much to be angry over. Her behavior was way out of control. You know, um, yelling, scolding, and complaining, negative criticism is never good. That's never going to accomplish anything. And her focus was obviously on herself. She was the only one that mattered that day, so she thought. Now, here's what should have happened in that particular scenario. The coffee splashes all over you, your daughter is afraid and about to cry because she knows you're going to have to change your clothes. It might make you late for work. But you gently say, it's okay, honey. You just need to be more careful next time. Grabbing a towel, you rush upstairs to change clothes. You get back downstairs just in time to look through the window and see your daughter getting on the bus. She turns and waves goodbye with a smile. You and your husband embrace before you both head off to work. You arrive at your job five minutes early and greet your co-workers cheerfully. Your boss even comments on how good of a day you are having. The end. <laughs> okay. Two scenarios that started exactly the same but ended completely different. Again, why? Because of how you reacted to the challenge. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to that. So as a young professional woman, how do you respond to the challenges and the trials and the difficulties that you face? How do you respond to them? On your job, in your relationships, with your finances? What happens when life-changing trials and challenges occur in your life? So we're going to look through the book of James, because I believe James has the answers for us. And I think I put all of the passages in your notes so that you can kind of follow along. But James, I don't know if you've ever read, how many of you have read through the book of James? Okay, great. Wonderful, wonderful. James, and those of you that have not, I encourage you to do so. Um, James is a very short book, short, short book. It's got five chapters, but it is a powerful book. And it's something that you can read even when you get home tonight. Um, but we're just going to kind of look at a few passages. Uh, James has been likened to the book of Proverbs in that it is 
full of wisdom. Of course, all of the Bible is, but just its practical nature of the book of James. And so if you look at the first verse that I have in your outline, chapter one, verse 19, James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And you, you know, if the, in that story that I just read to you, if she had only been quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, that would have been a totally different scenario. Um, James 3, verses 8 and 10, you see what he says there, no, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both cursing and blessing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And so you can tell just from those two verses, it sounds like Proverbs. If you've ever read through Proverbs, many times people will read Proverbs because it kind of lines up with the days of the, of the month. You know, there are usually 31 days in a month and there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. So as you read those two books, you'll see how they are, are similar. But James, in his book, he's teaching Christians that real, authentic faith shows up in how you live life. You know, how you live life, that determines if your faith is real. Um, if you look at the last verse there, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, he says, Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. And so James is saying that, you know, I behave a certain way because of the faith that is in me. And I behave that way regardless of the challenges, the trials, the difficulties that may come into my life. That my faith is what causes me to live the way that I live. Okay, so now we're just going to read the first five verses in chapter one. So those of you that have not read um, through James, you'll at least have a little bit of a head start and you can finish when you get home tonight. So in your notes, James chapter one, verses one through five, he says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad, greetings, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, you know, that's easy to say. That's easy to read. You know, it sounds good. It looks good. It is the Bible, after all. But what does that mean? You know, how does that work? Count it all joy. How does that work? You know, you, you go to work tomorrow, and you find out that your company has been taken over, has been bought out, and your particular job, your particular position is no longer necessary, and you find out on Friday that you do not need to come back to work anymore. James says, count it all joy? Or how about you go into work tomorrow and find out that a position you applied for has been filled? And the person who has the position, you've been asked to train them. Now, this is the third time you've been overlooked for a position. James says, count it all joy. Wow, what does that mean? How does that work? 
You know, when my husband and I moved here to Atlanta um, just a little over 18 years ago, I came with excitement, anticipation, joy. I could not wait to get to Atlanta. I just, I don't know, I was just looking forward to moving here. And it was going to be a new place, uh, new people, new relationships. Um, You know, it was just going to be new everything, new house. You know, I was just excited. My husband was going to be the new pastor of Berean Bible Baptist Church. And everything was great and wonderful. It was perfect. We moved here and it was just, it was just fantastic until we encountered various trials and I do mean various. Um, My husband Roger and I, we went through a turbulent time at the church when we first got here. And it's amazing how just a small group of people can have a devastating effect on everybody else. Um, And so during that time, that to me, that did not feel like 10%. (laughs) It felt like 90% of what was happening to me. Um, It was just like we were inundated with one problem, one negative circumstance after another. We could barely turn before something else happened. Just one thing after another kept happening. And I did not respond correctly. I did not respond in 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 a in a biblical way at all, okay? I responded angrily. I became angry with God. I questioned God. You know, I said, you know, I'm thinking to myself, why did you bring us here? We, we were fine in Dallas, you know? We were fine. Why did you bring us to this and, and to these people, you know? Um, I just, I became angry with him. I responded negatively. I responded sinfully, Okay, you see, I had an unbiblical view of God. I expected God to do something about it, you know? We were having problem on top of problem. I expected God to act and to act quickly. Well, that didn't happen. (laughs) That didn't happen. And um, I I had an unbiblical view. I had an expectation of God that was not really true of who he was. So I'm going to come back to that, but I just wanted to to tell you just that little bit about what happened to us years ago when we first got here. So I want you to tell me, what do you think it means when James says, count it all joy? That was not something that was going through my mind 18 years ago when we moved here. But he says to count it all joy. What do you think it means? Okay, to trust him, okay. Any other ideas? You can talk. <laughs> okay, and everything, yes, absolutely, that's a start. Very good, okay, well, in your notes, if you look at your notes, the first question there, first of all, it talks about attitude, attitude. So the first question says, what is your disposition towards the trial? And that's a huge clue right there. The first thing we have to understand about the statement, count it all joy. James is saying that we are to have an attitude, a disposition of joy. That's what he's saying. And he's saying not because of the trial, not because something bad has happened, but in the midst of it, you can have joy. That's what he's saying. Your disposition, your attitude is to be one of joy. So now I had, I think, You guys were handed just a little scripture passage on a sheet of paper. I don't know who has Galatians 5, 22 and 23. If you'd read that loud for us. Okay. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, so now that's the first reason why we can have joy, because joy is of the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have joy. Joy comes with the Holy Spirit. So that's one of the reasons why we can have joy, even in the midst of some of the most uh, difficult things that we face. Who has Psalm 16 and verse 11? I love that verse. That's David talking there. And he says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Joy is based on the very presence of God. The very presence of God, he brings joy. And so that's another reason we can have joy in the midst of difficult situations. And then who has Acts 16, verse 23 and 25? Wow, you see Paul and Silas are in jail, in prison, and yet even in that situation, they are singing. That demonstrates the joy that they had. Joy transcends earthly pleasure. Joy transcends earthly pleasure. So those are some of the reasons why we're able to have joy. Because of the presence of God in your life and the work of the Spirit in your heart, you don't have to be in a pleasant circumstance to have joy. And you know that joy is a gift of God. And so ultimately, only genuine believers can have joy. Uh, people in the world, unsaved people, they, they get joyful from time to time. Okay, but their joy is better known as happiness. Okay, they are happy because things are going well. You know, when, when your circumstances and life is, is going good for you and you're moving up the corporate ladder and you're doing the things that you dreamed you would do as a young girl, you know, you're happy. Things are going well. But when life turns and when things begin to happen that you weren't expecting, that are painful, that are difficult, happiness abandons you. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, nobody's happy when something bad happens. But as a believer, you can have joy, even in the midst of some of the most difficult things. Um, I was sharing with the ladies earlier tonight about my dad. My, my father, a couple of weeks ago, he fell and um, injured his left knee. Okay, now my dad is 92 years old. I come from a large family. There are eight of us, and I am number seven out of eight children. So I have a younger brother, and all of my other siblings are older. So my dad is 92, and he lives with my husband and I. But when we were traveling, he was at an um, assisted living facility, and that's where he suffered a fall. Um, the fall left him essentially unable to do some of the basic things that he was able to do before. I mean, he, he was able to walk um, with his walker. We have a in-law suite in our basement, and so that's, that's his little apartment, okay? So he was able to come up the steps and down the steps and just fine. I mean, he was slow, of course, 92, but he was able to do that. Well, this fall, he, cannot, he can't stand up right now because his knee is, is, is in a lot of pain in his ankle and foot. So he can't stand up by himself. He can't sit down by himself. He's, he's in a wheelchair right now. But my dad is joyful. 
My dad is joyful not because of the pain that he experiences on a daily basis, not because of the injury to his knee, but he's joyful because of the Lord in his life. And he has a prayer partner that calls him every day a prayer partner that calls him. They read scripture together. They pray together, of course. They talk about the scripture. And my dad's voice is just as strong and powerful as he's reading the word of God. You would not know. I remember the last time I was there and his prayer partner called him. You would not know that he's lying in a hospital bed, that his knee is in pain, his ankle is in pain. You would not know that just by listening to him, reading scripture and talking about the goodness of the Lord. And, you know, and he, I mean, that ministered to me, just listening to my dad, you know, and I, I, I don't want him there. I want him back at home with us, but he has to stay there until, you know, he's in a rehabilitation center now. But, you know, that's just the joy of the Lord in his life. He is joyful, even though his circumstances are not good. Um, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that you may have joy that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Only in Christ can you have real joy. So the first thing that James is talking about is your attitude. Secondly, in your, in your notes, mindset, in mindset. And the question there is, what are you telling yourself about the trial? What is it that you're telling yourself about the trial. One of the things that intensifies going through difficult circumstances and situations are the things that we tell ourselves, the negative things that we allow in our mind that we dwell on. And if you look at your notes there, I just, I just jotted down seven questions that I got from a book called Switch on Your Brain. I don't know if any of you have heard of that, if you've read it. Uh, it's by Dr. Caroline Leaf, but um, that title is so interesting, Switch on Your Brain. But anyway, she talks about uh, these types of negative statements that we tell ourselves, and she calls them toxic thoughts toxic thoughts. And that's exactly what they are. They're, they're killing us. Okay. That's what they're doing. And so some of them, if you look at the first one, it says, how many, how many could have, would have, should have statements have you made in the past week? You know, how many times do we say that? The second one, it says, how many if onlys were a part of your inner vocabulary in the past week? So often when things happen on our job or in our family, in our relationships, we will say, if only I had done such and such, if only this had been done, or I should have said this, you know, and we, and we, and we, we go over these things in our mind over and over again. If you look at the third question, how many times have you replayed in your head a conversation or situation that pained you or one that hasn't even occurred yet? <laughs> You know, that's, how, that's what happens. We start thinking about things and then it just gets blown way out of proportion and we're off on some, something else that hadn't even occurred and we're living as if it's real. It's not even reality. And so these are the things that she calls toxic thoughts. The last one, the last question, it says, how honest are you with yourself? How honest are you with yourself? What you tell yourself, ladies, has a powerful and profound effect upon you. What you tell yourself, your thoughts affect how you respond to the trial, to the challenge, to whatever it is that comes into your life. Your thoughts affect the decisions that you make and your thoughts affect how you treat the people around you as we saw from the little story that I read earlier. So I wanna just show you another example. This is something I'm gonna have you do at your table. Um, 
But if you look at the next passage in your outline, this is Genesis chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 5. And you know this story about Sarai and Abram. And so we're just going to read the passage. And then I want you at your table um, just to think and uh, to think about um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You probably know that one by heart. I think that's in your notes as well. But I want you to talk about how Sarah's actions were contrary to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And then I want you to talk about what she may have been thinking, what she may have thought to herself about God and about her circumstance. So let's just read the story. This is Genesis 16, 1 through 5, and it's in your notes. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Verse three, after Abram lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Verse 5, and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. Wow, (laughs) what a story, what a story. So now Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. How were Sarah's actions contrary to this proverb? And then talk about what she might have been thinking or telling herself about God and about her circumstance. So I'm gonna give you a few minutes to discuss that at your table and then we'll come back together. Okay, ladies, well, let's just um, talk about that just briefly. Uh, again, you see what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and then you see what happened in Genesis 16, 1 through 5. So just what are some of your thoughts? Just a few of you. What, what, um, what may have Sarah been thinking um, and telling herself about God or about the circumstance that she found herself in? What are some of the same things that you guys thought of and discussed? Hmm, okay, yep. Perhaps she thought it was this impossible. Yeah, anybody else? Just tired of waiting, yep. And perhaps she thought God needed help. You know, he was taking too long. (laughs) So how were her actions contrary to what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Yeah, that, that's the major thing. She decided to fall into her own way of thinking and what made sense to her. You know, God was taking too long. And of course, back then, you know, and even in some parts of the world today, um, you know, it was, it was legal for her to, to, to use her maid servant uh, as a surrogate. But uh, God had promised them a child. And so she did not um, trust in the Lord. She was leaning to her own understanding. 
So, and it's kind of interesting when you look back at verse five, um, <laughs> notice what she says. The very first thing she says after this whole scheme kind of blew up, she says, may the wrong done me. That's the first thing that comes out of her mouth. May the wrong done me. Now, who came up with the plan? <laughs> who influenced her husband to go along with the plan? And who took Hagar, the maid, and gave her to her husband? Okay, Sarah did all of that. (laughs) So it's kind of strange and and interesting that she would say, may the wrong done me. She was not being honest with herself. She was the reason that all of that took place. None of that should have happened. So as we continue on, you know, that was just a little illustration of what happens when we, when we jump in and try to, try to fix something or try to take care of something rather than waiting on the Lord and going through it, submitting to him and waiting on him for him to lead us and to give us wisdom. That's why I love, I love this time. I love this class, genuine wisdom. Um, so as we continue on, what is the right mindset that we are to have? How are we to think about the challenges and trials that come into our life? Well, in your notes, um, you see there the first one, trials, challenges are inevitable. That's how we're to think. That's how we're to, to um, consider the things that are happening, that they are inevitable. They are unavoidable. When you think back in James 1, verse 2 that I read earlier, he says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. What does the word when indicate to you? Yeah, it means that it's going to happen. You know, it doesn't say count it all joy if, you know, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say just in case, you know, it says when, because these things are going to happen. Uh, letter B in your notes, trials and challenges are tests of faith. That's the, that's, the, uh, that's the next way we're to think about them. They are tests of faith because he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Okay, so who has 1 Peter 4 and verse 12? If you'll read that for us. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Wow, thank you so much. You know, that's one of the things I love about God. God lays it all on the table for you. He tells us that he's not hiding anything from us. He tells us it's in his word. It's right there for us to read and to know. This is how we get to know him. And he has said so plainly, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. And it comes upon you for your testing. He's, he's told you. So we're not supposed to be surprised at it. Uh, who has First Peter? One six. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow, I love that one as well. You greatly rejoice, even though you're going through, you know, at this, at this time, you may be going through something that is distressful. You're still able to rejoice. There's that joy that you can have in the midst of some of the most difficult things that you might face. Who has First Peter 5 and 10?
Once again, God speaking very clearly and plainly, he says, after, after, after you have suffered for a little while, he himself is going to perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So that tells you right there that we're going to suffer. We're going to go through some very difficult times. Um, Trials, you know, the trials and things that you're facing, they are there uh, as a way of testing your faith. And it's kind of, you can kind of look at it as hands-on involvement, you know, that God has hands-on involvement in your life. And he's looking at your life from from all different angles. That's why the Bible says various. There there are all kinds of things happening. Something as silly and insignificant as, as coffee spilling in your lap and making you late to work or whatever, or something life-changing can happen. Any of those things, you know, God is testing your faith. He is involved in your life and he allows these things. He's controlling all of these things. So when Roger and I moved here to Atlanta over 18 years ago uh, to Berean Bible Baptist Church, God used that as an opportunity to test my faith. You know, I didn't know that at the time. I wasn't thinking about that at the time. Uh, it was just it was just not fun. I did not like it. I wanted to head back to Dallas. In fact, I can remember telling my husband, I said, Roger, all you have to do is just say the word. I will have this house packed up and I will have these kids packed up. <laughs> you know, I have four children at the time. They were 10 and under when we first moved here. Okay, they're grown now. But I said, I'm ready. Just say the word, <laughs> you know. But, you know, God was testing my faith. How would I respond when people spoke negatively to my husband? How would I respond when people were unkind and rude to me? You know, how would I respond when our church was decreasing <laughs> rather than increasing? I mean, we went through, we went through some time. And, and um, one of the things that we had the experience of uh, doing was um, writing letters. Now, now, my husband and I, we, we are not missionaries, but uh, I, I love missionaries. I mean, we, they, we have them come to our church um, several times throughout the year. We have... Um, uh, missions Emphasis Sunday, and they and they come. Various mini- missionaries come, and they share their life, and they talk about you know what God is doing on the mission field. And I just I love it. I just I mean I th- they are the greatest. They are the greatest people. They really are. So, but my husband and I are not missionaries. But when the situation took place when we first moved here, and things were just kind of going south, <laughs> uh, we had to start writing letters back home to, to our friends in Dallas, Texas, uh, back home to, to my family. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. You know, we had to write letters to different people just uh, asking for financial support so that we can continue on, because this is where, you know, we believe this is where God would have us to be, although I was still saying, Roger, we can head back, you know, and it's so funny because we still had a home in Dallas. We had not gotten our home sold. So uh, I don't know if that was all a part of the testing to see if we were going to, you know, hightail it back there or or go ahead and stay. But we, of course, we remained and uh, faithful to the Lord. And But God taught me so much in going through that. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I really began to understand that, that God is sovereign. You know, we, we say that all the time and we, we sing about it and we talk about it. But sometimes when we're going through something, 
you know, that's when we really understand what that means, that God is sovereign, that he is controlling even, even the evil that takes place, even the unpleasant things that take place in your life. God is sovereign over that. And just understanding that, you know, everything I experience, um, you know, God has a plan and a purpose for everything that I go through. And as I submit to him, um, he ultimately is glorified. And so that's some of the things that he has taught me through all of this. God calls me to see that faith is not just something that I possess. You know, faith is not just something that you possess, but it's what you live by. This is, this is what you live. We walk by faith and not by sight. So God is testing our faith. So we see that trials, challenges, they're inevitable. They are tests of faith. And then lastly, in your notes, trials produce endurance in your life. Trials produce endurance. Um, the passage in 2 Corinthians, I think this is Paul talking, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 9. Every time I read this verse, it is so dramatic. The, the, word, the wording here is just dramatic. These are endurance-building words. So just listen to this. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Sometimes life feels like you're being pushed to the breaking point. You know, sometimes you're going to experience things where you just feel like, you, you, you know, the world is caving in on you. But God is not breaking you. He is building endurance in you. And so when we talk about the third area, behavior, behavior is another area that has a direct impact on how you face the trials and challenges. That question there in your notes, what are you doing in the midst of the trial? What are you doing in the midst of the trial? You can either protest or you can persevere. What happened to me years ago, I was protesting. I was protesting what was happening. And you can see the list there, the, the seven signs of protest. These were some of the things uh, that were going on in my heart, in my life. These were some of the things that I was doing, grumbling, complaining. I had a critical spirit. Then I fell into self-pity, okay, discontent, ungrateful, pouting, despondent, and contentious. Wow. But if you look on the right side, this is how you know if you're persevering through whatever God is taking you through. This is one of the ways that you know that you're persevering. Are you humble? Are you serving others rather than being critical? Are you um, thankful and talking about the goodness of the Lord? Are you content? Again, you know, do you have a thankful heart attitude? Are you fervent in prayer and then a joyful spirit? Those are the signs that you are persevering through whatever it is you're going through. And so again, if you look in your notes, the word endurance there, the Bible says, let endurance have its perfect result. Let endurance have its perfect result. Endurance simply means to remain under and it means to patiently endure with joy. And I love that definition, to patiently endure with joy. There's, there's joy again. We can't get around it. We can't get away from it. Joy. We are to have joy in the midst of whatever it is we're facing. So attitude, mindset, behavior, and then lastly, focus. Focus. What are you pursuing regarding the trial. What is it that you want? What is it that you're pursuing? And this is where wisdom comes in. 
that last verse in James 1, verse 5, it says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given. Wisdom is what we are to be pursuing. Wisdom is what we need when we're going through difficult things. So those last five points, um, God's wisdom is available to you. God's wisdom is specific. Number three, God's wisdom is necessary. And then the fourth one, God's wisdom is practical. And last but not least, God's wisdom is divine. Of course, his wisdom is divine. So this is why genuine wisdom, this ministry is so critical. Uh, it's so much better for you to learn wisdom at a young age, you know, and learn how to apply it to your life. And so I'm so thankful to be a part of this ministry. But what I'd like for you to do at your tables now regarding these five aspects of God's wisdom, you know, I just want you to share, you know, at your table, perhaps a difficult uh, situation that you're facing right now, something that's, that's, that's happened to you, maybe on your job or in your relationship something that's going on in your life that you can share. And I want you to, dis to discuss what the principle means to you in light of that challenging situation. You know, wh what does it mean that God's wisdom is available to you in, in light of the situation that you're facing? What does it mean that God's wisdom is specific and that it's necessary? So just talk about each of these. What does it mean that God's wisdom is practical in the midst of whatever you're facing and that his wisdom is divine? So I'm just going to give you these last few minutes to kind of discuss that at your table, and then we'll come back together. Okay, okay, ladies, we're going to um, go ahead and, and pick back up. I'm not sure how much time we have. I know it's 8.35, so we may need to bring this to a close. But um, just wanted to kind of hear from you. What, what are some of the thoughts and things that you all share, just briefly, uh, from your table? So I'm going to let each table say something about, you know, the fact that God's wisdom is available, that it's specific, it's necessary, that it is practical and divine. What, you know, what difference does that make in the situation that you're facing? So we'll start, we'll start here with Casey. <laughs> oh. That is the outcome, that uh, at the end of it all, you know, God has it, and that you can depend on him, and that even when you're walking through it, you can rest in him, mm -hmm. and that's kind of practical. Okay, okay, excellent, excellent. Okay, table number two. <laughs> Okay, all right, thank you, thank you, thank you, all right, next. Emily's going to share. Okay. Well, I have a little story. Um, <laughs> I've just moved back to Atlanta, and um, I was going to be renting a house for my parents, but the long story short, the house ended up having a lot of problems, and one of the problems it had was fleas, and um, yeah, exactly, I was like, <laughs> so thankfully, I didn't, I haven't been living in like I couldn't take it you know and I was really like going through all these things like feeling sorry for myself and self-pity and everything and then I felt like God just reminded me one day like well you need to give thanks in all circumstances and you know Corey Ten Boom um, mm -hmm. 
her sister that when they're in the concentration camps was like, well, let's thank God and thank you God for the fleas. And Corey's just like, what are you talking about? You know. But then it ended up being that the fleas kept the guards from coming in and they were able to have Bible studies. So, so it's just like, okay, God, thank you for the fleas. I don't know why. But then in the end, it was really neat because um, there's a bunch of single girls in my home church that were running a place and they were like, would you like to rent the basement apartment? And it just came up like that. And wow. it ends up being like more convenient for work and different things. So um, yeah, and I don't That's know good. that I would have considered it if mm-hmm. there hadn't been fleas. Right. <laughs> God has a plan and a purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, very well said. Thank you. Okay, and then this last table. She had some really great things to say about practicality. Um, well, I don't know. Um, always, I've always been a very practical, hands-on girl. Like, I was telling them uh, the, the verse in Romans that's talking about, you know, take every thought captive. You know, ever since I was 11, I remember distinctly sitting there trying to figure it out. Like, how? How do I do that? Practically speaking, like, how do I capture a thought like what what are you saying and so sometimes when you're when you grow up in church you grow up with this sort of mystical view of wisdom and this mystical view of like oh spirituality you know <laughs> Ment- it's all mental and emotional it's all these flighty things it's not solid sometimes at least it's not presented as a solid thing and um sometimes you're sitting there going okay well um this this isn't this isn't lining up with common sense. This isn't really working out like I expected it to. It doesn't really look like a practical thing to sit here and wait or to sit here and do this or to go do this. That's not practical. It doesn't line up with common sense. That's silly. You know, this is not what I need right now. You know, um, but it's a good thing that uh, even when it doesn't, it seems impractical. It's practical. And it's hard sometimes because, again, it's that spiritual haze that sometimes descends where you're like, great, so you're giving me this esoteric little fluffy thing and I'm supposed to go into the trenches with this? Like, I don't, I don't think I can do that. Um, and so it's good that instead, God always gives you something to fight with in the space of it all, but you just have to see it from the right angle. Hmm. You know, a fork isn't practical to a mermaid, but it's practical to a human being, you know. And so it's, it's, it's always about viewpoint, too. Viewpoint, too, because one woman's dingle hopper is another woman's, you know, eating utensils. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. Well, very well said. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. But yeah, I just wanted to share with you about challenges because I know, you know, I know that you all are facing various things, like I said, on your job and perhaps in your family. You know, we're all going through something. And, you know, the saying that says you're either um, in a trial or you've just come out of a trial or you're getting ready to go through one, you know, that's kind of the way life is. And, um, you know, as it, as you have all said, uh, God is sovereign. God has got this, whatever it is we're facing. And so I just kind of wanted to leave that with you today. Thank you again for inviting me. This is an incredible ministry. I love it. I love the title, Genuine Wisdom. And I wish I had this when I was your age. <laughs> Okay, so thank you.